0: And like, I don't remember what it was, but I remember we started getting like DMs on our Instagram of people like, hey, love your story. This is our story. And they would ask us a question. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, here's a complete stranger. And they're just asking, you know, and I, I was always that guy.
1: Welcome to the five show. You get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to
2: another episode of the Fi Show. Where today we have on Ali and Josh from the Fi Couple. But before that, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man?
1: Well, because we're gearing up for almost two months away for February, and March, we're kind of doing some, you know, local things, seeing some local friends, getting some chores done, getting some projects done. So we got some gym floor kind of stuff put in some like thick rubber mats for our garage gym that we're putting together actually just hung the TV in there today. And I've also like I've been getting more into woodwork. So I went out and picked up some a bunch of free pallets and I actually picked up a baby grand piano for free off Facebook marketplace. If you are a big musician, you might want to avert your ears. But I did take it and uh, cut it down into pieces to make uh, just like wood planks out of. So <laughs> there's some there's some good uh, you know some good hardwoods in there that are expensive. So I cut those down, made some planks. Uh, went fishing with a buddy on his new boat and uh, watched some UFC fights. How about you, Cody?
2: This past weekend, I actually came back from Park City. So we flew out on. I I'm blanking on when we flew out Thursday the 20th <laughs> and we ended up getting back today Tuesday the 25th so it was awesome getting out west I know Justin you're a fan of out west skiing it's just so much better than skiing in the northeast got to hit the park or park city and the park on Friday took a day off on Saturday did this snow tubing which was really fun I was kind of expecting just you know kind of a slow little mellow thing we just wanted to take a break and this was some intense snow tubing. You're going like 30 miles an hour down the mountain, hitting like these little jumps and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And then ended off the week with a couple more days of skiing. So my legs were pounding by the end of that trip. But man, it was totally worth it. Definitely got to get back out that way sometime soon again.
1: Well, I'm finally going to get to get my skiing in for the year in February, going up to like Denver area, probably do some Vail, a little Keystone. And then uh, in late March, going to go to Park City, just where you came from. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely, man.
2: But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month.
1: Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just, they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401Ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards, they're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you wanna use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at the slash PC. That's the slash PC.
2: Alright, so on today's episode, we have on Allie and Josh from The Fi Couple. Now, if you've been on Instagram and you're in The Fi Space, you have probably heard from or have seen The Fi Couple. They are super prolific. They started their account not so long ago, the end of 2020. They just made it their mission. Allie wakes up in the middle of the night. You'll hear the whole story about how she had this idea. And at this point, as as I'm saying this right now, they have over 90,000 followers in a year. They're making more in some months than they were during their day jobs. It's just an absolutely crazy journey to show you the power of community, social media, when you have an action plan, when you're delivering valuable information. And Justin and I really get to digging in on the step-by-step process, the tactics, everything that you'll need if you want to replicate something like this.
1: And this episode does have a good variety of different things that could work for a lot of different people, whether it be maybe you're interested in starting something online, an online presence. Maybe it's something where you're thinking about starting your own business, even outside of like that social media presence. Maybe it's you're thinking about going into something with a significant other and you want to think through what are some of the pros and cons of that. So if you find any of that interesting or you want to send it to someone who you think would really love an episode like this, you can find all their details and that link at thefyshow.com slash fi couple. That's thefyshow.com slash fi couple. Take it away, Allie and Josh.
3: It's kind of funny full circle that we do call ourselves the Phi Couple because growing up and in our early 20s, we were anything but. I grew up in a relatively middle-class household where money and finances was discussed, but it was really more like find a stable and secure job, get that state job with benefits. But other than like knowing I needed a savings account, that's as far as my financial knowledge went.
0: Yeah. And for me, I mean, money was never discussed. I mean, I grew up in a very, very low income household, single mom, three kids. So money wasn't discussed other than we knew we didn't have it. And in order to have it, we would have to work a lot. And so how to save and invest, that was not something that was modeled for me or taught to me and something it didn't take. It took most of my life to learn how to do.
1: And, Allie, you mentioned like the only thought you had was get that state job that has a retirement. So, like going into college, what was your mindset? Like, what were you expecting life to look like for Allie?
3: It's funny you say that, actually. When I first started college, we both majored in child and family studies. And our professors told us, you want to be in human services? You're probably going to be broke. Like, you're not going to make money. In my mind, at 18, I had accepted the fact that I would live a very modest average life with limited income potential and i think i wanted that state job i wanted that health care and that benefit pension package and i would work for the next 30 years and and that was it and then you know the ripe age of 67 i'd retire
2: <laughs> and so i know you guys both actually went to school for the same major if i read correctly when did that whole mindset shift change? And Josh, I guess before I, you answer that question, did you have the same kind of goal, path, career, adjectives as Allie?
0: No, not at all. Honestly, like I just kind of stumbled my way into college. I had no plans of pursuing college until probably about a month before I graduated high school. And luckily, a friend of mine's parent told me about an educational opportunity program for disadvantaged youth. And so that was a scholarship that helped me get into college. And until then, I didn't really have any plan. And so once I got to college, I still didn't understand how to study or have success in college. I was just there for the fun of it in the beginning. And then luckily, eventually, I smartened up and started taking my college uh, coursework a bit more serious because I thought once I understood I was paying money to be there, that it wasn't free money, knew I'd have to figure out how to have success.
1: And just to have the full story, I mean, did you both just happen to take the same kind of coursework? Did you meet because of some of these classes? Like, how did the couple part come to be?
3: It's funny. We actually were in separate majors. What were you in? Criminal justice. And I was in education. And we transferred into the major child and family studies the same semester. And it is a, like, 98% female-dominated major. So Josh was like one of three guys, and he was the guy that annoyingly sat at the front of the room and always answered all the questions. So he was kind of like easy to spot, and I was like the introvert that sat in the back and didn't speak. So eventually we connected as friends. I say that he was the cute guy from class that walked me home one day, and we were quick friends ever since then, and eventually started dating, and yeah.
0: The rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind
2: of start this life together. You graduate college, you get these jobs. You had mentioned, Ali, that your plan was to just work in government for 30 years, get that stable pension, that state job. Josh, you didn't quite have the same career path, but it sounds like you were heading that way. You you were up at the front of the class, raising your hand. You were ready to get that probably state job in that field. When did things change for you guys? Like, when did you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and realize that you didn't have to maybe work till you were 65?
0: Yeah. So we got married at the end of 2018. So probably about the year before that, that's kind of when we started talking about like, hey, we're getting ready to get married. We should probably figure out like how much do weddings cost? And that was the planning process for our wedding was kind of, I think one of the first times Allie and I really started talking about like finances and, you know, how do we save for something like that? And then that kind of then thrust us into better understanding our own finances. And specifically, we had already had about sixty-five or $70,000 in student loans. And Allie had just finished a, a master's program in 2017 for another, I think it was another $33,000. So we kind of started mathing it out and we we're like, well, we got now over $100,000 in student loans, not including car payments and credit cards. So It was right about then that we started realizing, like, unless one of us learns how to make a ton of money, which neither one of us had any (laughs) plans for that, we really need to start thinking and living a lot different.
3: So we started learning, like, the fundamentals of personal finance, I would say, in 2017, you know... Dave Ramsey's baby steps, all of that fun stuff, Um, but it didn't feel super sustainable. We weren't incredibly financially literate at the time. We were kind of fumbling through. We were spending way more than we were earning, and we weren't really intentional with our money or the things that we were doing in life. Um, But then, a few months before our wedding, we got married in August, I'm talking January, in a two-week span, Josh totaled his car and got fired from that seven-year career that he thought he'd be at forever. So our world kind of felt like it was totally crashing and burning. And we realized how leveraged we were. We went from a two-income household, we're paying our bills, everything's fine. And then you realize how not fine you are when you lose more than 50% of your income. So I think that was like the super pivotal turning point for us.
0: One thing that kind of happened though, just before all of that though, was you know, like Ali said, we gave like the Dave Ramsey approach a shot for like three months and it just wasn't sustainable. But we had actually read the book Set for Life by Scott Trench, and that's actually where we got introduced to the topic of house hacking. We'd never heard of it. We didn't even know that was a thing. We thought like in order to buy real estate, you have to buy like really big buildings and stuff. And so when we started talking about that, that was kind of something we knew we really want to accomplish.
1: And before you actually started getting into real estate and you're just sitting there calculating up how much debt you have, kind of what this is going to look like, what was that moment like? Like, was it demoralizing or were you like, was it kind of like fired you up? Like, okay, now we know what we got to do. Let's go tackle it.
3: I think we had two totally different responses. Do you want to share yours first? You can go. Okay. I think that I was totally out of touch. I was like head in the sand ostrich, like everyone has debt. Who cares? I want to live my life. I want to enjoy my life. Like the things that Josh was talking about, like radically changing our life and house hacking. You don't see anyone else in our circle doing that. Why do we have to do it? You're crazy.
0: Now that I was better understanding personal finance, I discovered the fire movement. I'm reading all the books and stuff. I was calculating kind of like the opportunity cost of all of that debt. And Ali and I had sat down and we started listing out all the things that we really like to do, things that make us happy. I was seeing all of the debt that we had as, well, we don't have as much time to do those things because so much of our time is being traded for money to pay this debt that just seems to be growing year after year. So it caused me a lot of stress.
3: He's like saying that like eloquently though. Like I think he had like daily mental breakdowns. Yeah. Like it was just like constant anxiety and panic that we are like, oh my gosh, we are so screwed.
0: And that was before I got fired.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so Josh, when you figure this out and you start to panic and realize that you need to limit this debt, So that probably means one of two things. You're going to reduce your expenses. You're going to increase your income. Which one of those paths looked more appealing to
0: you? Definitely decreasing our expenses because again, as human service professionals, I mean, if you worked really, really hard and you got in at the state and you served like 15 or 20 years, you know, you could maybe start getting to like that 70, $75,000 a year range. And both of us were in like year two or three of our careers. And so there really wasn't a lot of opportunity. And I had started like side hustling with Uber and stuff. And so earning more income wasn't something like a dramatic amount of income wasn't something I thought was in the cards. But I think we were paying like $1,300 a month in rent. And I was like, well, over the course of a year, that's like $18,600 it would take a monumental amount of effort for us to make an additional 18,600 in our careers versus if we could save that and that's like after-tax money too that would be like a $20,000 a year pay raise so that became our focus and so
1: you've both i think read set for life like you've started talking about this idea and house hacking is one that a lot of times you know has a lot of kind of weird feelings towards it because when you're talking about like possibly letting someone live in your own house if you don't have like a duplex so what was going through your mind when that idea starts to kind of formulate like we might be letting someone live in our house or live right next door to us
3: this was like a few months before our wedding that all of this was transpiring like a month before i was like i can't look at houses anymore like or i will not marry you so we need to stop but it was the most surreal, crazy idea. I thought Josh was crazy. I thought it was a horrible idea. I wanted nothing to do with it. I think that we are socialized from such an early age on what life should look like. You buy a single family home, you get married, you have babies, you have a great career, like that prototypical American dream. And Josh was derailing my hypothetical American dream and I wasn't happy about it. And I think it took a long time for me to fully drink the Kool-Aid and get on board and become obsessed with it. It was not easy. It was a lot of arguments. It was a lot of frustration, you know?
0: Well, and I think I made the mistake. So like I was soon to be like a married guy, but the two books that I read the most were set for life. So Scott Trench, who I think at the time was like a single guy. And then the house hacking book by Craig Kurlop, who was also a single guy. And these were guys who were like, We'll do whatever we have to take to house hack. Like Craig lived behind a curtain and stuff. So that was my mindset. And I was like, well, in order for this to work, like the Excel sheet, we have to get paid to live for free, right? Because if not, you're a failure.
3: So he was taking me to houses where literally there were murders on those streets, but the cash flow was so good. So I'm like, no, no. So eventually we landed on a very sweet duplex in a nice neighborhood. It had a driveway because I don't like parallel parking. And it ended up being like this beautiful home. We didn't have roommates. We had a tenant in a Separate unit. But the beginning of that, I mean, yeah, we were in sketchy areas looking at like disgusting houses, but that was okay for Bachelor Josh, but not for married Josh and Allie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just thinking of, I remember Craig sending me the picture of him living in his living room with a curtain. And, and man, we had him on a while ago. It was like episode seven at this point. Maybe we'll have to have him back on and share some of his more funny house acting stories. But Kudos to you, actually, for focusing on housing, because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the general personal finance advice is like cutting out the lattes and the knickknacks. And it's like the five dollars here, the ten dollars there. And you guys just went for the big thing right away. Was it just housing that you focused on? Josh, it sounds like you were reading all the right books to focus on housing. But, you know, did you have multiple cars? Did you maybe downsize and sell one? Did you, you know, get rid of the Tesla and buy a Toyota Camry? What other things did you do to kind of lower that expense bill?
3: I mean, to be honest, in the beginning, we were focusing on the small expenses. We were focusing on the coffee. Josh was focusing on my Amazon shopping, like all of these little details here. And again, I feel like I can't repeat this enough. Like it caused so much friction and tension in our relationship because all of those little micro choices we were making, it was too emotional. It was too many choices. So, In addition to housing, right, and Set for Life, Scott says housing, food, and transportation. So what did Josh want to do? Let's get rid of your beautiful car, Allie, with your heated leather seats, right? Josh is the bad guy here. But the universe kind of took control and my beautiful car got rear-ended when we were under contract for our house hack. So... We had the choice. Do we take that money and get another loan for a car or do we take that money and buy a car in cash? And we decided to buy a car in cash, thus eliminating our car payment.
0: And it wasn't just a car. It was a 2011 Toyota Corolla with cigarette burns in the front seat and like 85,000. Because again, set for life, it was like you house hack and you get the Corolla. So we we're like, we got the Corolla and now we're going for a house hack. Josh
3: was very annoying during this phase of our <laughs> life. It's, you know, the Rolls Royce of the Fi movement. But yeah. yes, it was, it was a very exciting time.
1: <laughs> what if we just kind of like walk through the numbers a little bit, like go from what your maybe savings rate was, like how much you were able to save before your house hacking and, you know, with the income that you had versus now you've got the house hack up and running. What is that looking like? Uh, you know, what did that actually do to your finance?
3: I'd say in the beginning, our savings rate was pretty much zero, probably negative. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing was happening savings wise.
0: Yep. So the house hack, again, it was a beautiful duplex off market. And the mortgage on that was 1380 and the guy upstairs was paying 750 So I think that brought it down to like, we were out of pocket like 630 bucks a month. So we were going from almost $1,300 a month down to like 600 not including like utilities and stuff. And so that coupled with, I got fired, but then I started my own business. So I started getting my income back up to where it was and then making a little bit more. I would say with the house hack plus my business and Allie was working full time, we were probably in that like maybe 25, maybe 30% savings rate early 2019.
3: So it had definitely improved. But from then to now, we've gotten another house hack in our income. We've been able to really increase our income. So now we're kind of hovering much higher than that in terms of savings rate.
0: Yep
2: two-parter here. So are you using an FHA loan, like 3.5% down with
0: this house tax? So the first one was actually a 5% conventional. You don't see those as much anymore. And then second one was an FHA 3.5% down. But it's actually kind of funny. We were just talking about like Ali, I've always kind of been like the crazy entrepreneur guy, which is nice in some sense, but I also had terrible credit and I had no financial background. So like, our first house hack, if I had to buy it by myself, I couldn't have got it because I had terrible credit. But luckily, Allie had great credit. And then by the second one, we actually bought that in both of our names using the uh, the FHA program.
2: Okay, so the first one was not an FHA loan. But what I want to just highlight here, and I'm sure you guys are aware of the rules, is I get this question so much from people asking how to get started in real estate. And I'm sure you guys would have the same answer. House hacking is like the easiest way to get into real estate if you want to get into hands-on real estate. You can buy REITs. You can do syndications and other stuff like that. But I think the cool thing with, you know, using an FHA loan is that you only have to live in that place for a year. So hypothetically, you could live in five different house hacks, five different years. Like all you'd have to wait is 365 calendar days. So even though you guys didn't do that, like just knowing that you have that option, I'm not exactly sure when you close in your last property with this FHA loan, but if it's a year from whatever that date was, then you could go out and do the same thing again. So just want to make a quick point to that because I get so many questions about that. And people don't understand that you can just keep reusing
1: that program as long as you're there for a full calendar year. And one thing, Josh, you kind of slipped in there during that last part was that you started your own business. So walk us through what that was.
0: Yeah. So it's funny because right near, and this maybe contributed me getting fired, but leading up to my last few months at work, like I knew I wanted to work for myself. So my background is I'm a career counselor for workers with disabilities. And you know, I pretty much plateaued in my business that I was with and kind of got that entrepreneurial bug. And so I was like, you know, I really want to work for myself. But at that time, again, I know how much debt we have. We're getting ready to get married. It's not a good time to launch my own business. Well, the universe had other plans for me. So got fired. And then I took a job, but lasted only probably about seven weeks in that. And we had that conversation. Allie was like, it's now or never. You're either going to take a chance on now, or you're going to go get like a state job or something. So I took a chance and it was a lot of work, obviously in the beginning, just like any small business would be, but it's paid off big time. And uh, it gives me, allows me to do the work that I really enjoy, but with a lot more flexibility and a lot less hours.
2: So I kind of want to skip to when you guys start to become creators yourselves. So you're you know, consuming this content, Josh, you're starting your own business. You guys then become like kind of fire influencers. I don't know if the start was on Instagram, but you guys have certainly blown up on then in years recent.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a really weird year. I still hear the word influencer and I'm like, What? Yeah.
0: What?
3: If you know us in real life, we're not super social media people, which is why this whole journey has been really amazing and incredible and just I don't know. But I woke up in the middle of the night, it was late 2020 at like 3am and I just woke up and I was like, we should start an Instagram like documenting our debt payoff and being real estate investors and all of this stuff because my big thing is I feel like so often when you hear the stories about the real estate investors or the people that paid off their debt or did these amazing things. They didn't have a lot of debt or they had really high paying jobs or they had some sort of like advantage there. And I'm like, we literally made the worst financial choices. We had so much debt. We didn't get started until our late 20s. So I wanted to share that narrative of being like an everyday normal person and still being able to figure it out. So I told Josh at three in the morning, like this is what we should do. And what did you say? This
0: is a terrible idea. <laughs> I, got off my, I said that's We're really so,
3: supportive of each other. This is so
0: dumb. Like, what have we done? Who's going to listen to us other than our moms? Like, that's such a bad idea. Go back to bed.
3: So Josh thought it was a bad idea, but I could not get this idea out of my head, and I became obsessed with it. I was just so excited. I'm like, I don't know why I'm excited about this, but I have not been excited about something like this for so long. We have to do it. So in November of 2020, we launched the Fi Couple. We had no idea what we were doing. We were not content creators, but throughout the year we've discovered kind of hidden superpowers. Like I'm very good at creating graphics. Josh is so good with coming up with content ideas and networking. So we found these like organic skills that we already had and we were able to work together on them in our business. And a
0: big thing for us too was again, like so often like you'll hear people stories who have achieved financial independence but sometimes it's like a couple years after the fact. And so they do the best that they can in their interviews to reflect back on like the journey, the climb, if you will. And for us, like we are our brand is the Phi couple, but we're not yet financially independent. If I had to clock it, I'd say we're probably like 65, 70 percent of the way there now. But when we launched in November of 2020, we were even further behind that. And so. We wanted to start documenting our journey like we're not there yet, but we're a few steps ahead of when people are just starting out. And so we want to document that second half and then show people that people from relatively everyday backgrounds can achieve it.
1: That certainly resonates with me. I remember when like I started my little blog and I had like $30,000 in my name and I'm telling everybody in 2015 like, "Hey, I'm going to retire like really young." And they're like, "You are a psycho. This makes no sense." <laughs> and so like, I, you know, and Josh, you mentioned something that also kind of resonates. I think with a lot of people who start putting themselves out there on the internet, is you're like, "Who's going to listen to us?" It's that imposter syndrome. So, what did it take
0: to kind of get over that? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think over it would imply that we were over it. But I think even now.
3: (laughs) I'm over it. You're uh, not over it? I
0: I still sometimes. I was going to say
3: just like an aggressive wife. Like, I think I kind of forced him to do it. But I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) Ellie
0: knows she's got the goods. It's like, Josh, come on. I I think what it was, Justin, was when we started to see growth. And like, I don't remember what it was, but I remember we started getting like DMs on our Instagram of people like, hey, love your story. This is our story. And they would ask us a question. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, here's a complete stranger. And they're just asking, you know, and I, I was always that guy, especially on like different like Facebook groups and stuff like that, like Bigger Pockets and Choose FI. I was always the one asking questions. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then like the questions kind of started coming in more and more and then, our brand continued to pick up. And then uh, I was like, you know, maybe there's something to this. And I think right around like December or January, we had like a thousand followers, which at that point I was like, hey, thousand followers. We were so
3: excited. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: But I will say we have been really fortunate just through like the algorithm gods to have connected with other creators who have been super kind in terms of like, helping us kind of learn social media and giving us suggestions and content ideas and strategies. And I think that's helped a lot. And it's it's just as old as time is like your network is so important. And we've built a really strong network this past year, which has helped us a ton.
2: So I kind of do want to get granular with you guys on Instagram, because like you said, Josh, like you guys are kind of in the middle of it. You don't have 10 followers. You don't have 5 million followers. Like you are on a steady climb. I just see that graphic that you make it's like 70k 80k and you know 90k is coming sooner than later probably by the time people hear this episode (laughs) can we kind of just get into the nitty-gritty like what does a typical day in a instagram content creator's life look like i know there's reels and there's posts and there's just answering questions with videos like there's so much that goes into it could you kind of give us a little peek behind the curtain.
3: Absolutely. I mean, if you asked us this question like two months ago, we'd have a different answer. For the majority of our time running the Phi Couple, we were both still working full-time jobs and people didn't know that. They were like, wait, you work on top of this. So we were working full-time jobs, part-time jobs, and running the Phi Couple. So Phi Couple was really like nights and weekends. It was working 24-7 and it was really hard. But this past November, I was able to leave my full-time job. I found a part-time job that still had health benefits. I'm working two days a week to retain that. But otherwise, I'm full-time with the Phi Couple. So for us, yeah, we kind of have our punch list for the day or the week. But it's any and all, you know. We're creating content. We're brainstorming content. We've been really fortunate to partner with some amazing brands and do work with them. We're doing YouTube videos for Bigger Pockets, So it's kind of just thinking... What is our message and how can we educate others and share that message with our tiny little pocket of the world?
0: And when we're not creating content or planning projects or other collaborations, we spend a lot of time like engaging with people who have questions or trying to add value to um, other people's pages, like posts and stuff. And that's actually, I think, one of the biggest reasons we were able to grow so much was I saw you know, someone share a post that really resonated with us to the best of my ability, I would always try to leave like a a thoughtful and insightful comment and do that multiple times a day, just about every single day. And that actually, you know, a lot of it is algorithmic driven. So I think there was enough value add comments to the point where people said, hey, that was a really good comment. I'm going to go check out the Phi couple. And we would get comments all the time. Like, hey, or like direct messages hey saw your comment on such and such's as post that was really great happy to follow you and i was like oh okay that's cool
3: this got so bad that people have asked us do you use a third party like robot processor yeah. to leave comments on people's posts i'm like yes it's my that's husband crazy husband. um so
0: <laughs> any comment anything like that you see and sometimes people are always really like surprised they're like oh wow i'm really surprised you you know answered my question and i was like don't be like that's why we do this like yeah. every question that comes in as long as it's not like spammy and stuff we'll answer and yeah we're always just trying to add value
1: and i think a lot of people getting started you know they can get intimidated by words like algorithm or thinking about like frequency of poster timing of poster yeah. obviously you need some quality content but outside of that would you say it's more important to really have something super polished or just to post more frequently
3: i think it kind of like balance of both, to be honest with you. I think that there's a few key levers that you can pull to run a successful social media platform. And as long as you're consistent, you can do it. So I would say you want to know like who you are and who your audience is. Like what is my message? What is my circle of competence? I'm not gonna deviate from the circle. So having that clear message of who you are, you wanna build trust and authenticity. So being you, being transparently you, I would say posting quality content, but you don't need to post 10 times a day. When yeah. we first started, we were posting maybe three times a week. Now that we're taking it full time, I'd say we post minimum five mm-hmm. times a week. But again, it's just you get into the rhythm and you figure out the systems. I think in the beginning, we didn't have systems because it wasn't a business. So it was like this fun little hobby. We weren't taking it seriously. But once we realized like, this can be something and this can be something life-changing, we really developed systems because it's a business.
0: What's really nice too, especially in like, this is like a really nice transferable thing with real estate is that I can't speak for all like social media platforms, but Instagram gives you a ton of analytics. So a lot of what we do is also like very much like analytic driven. I mean, we're very
3: data driven. We
0: look at all on the back end. We see what people engage with, what people don't engage with times of engagement, days of engagement, so on and so forth. And so, in the beginning, it was just kind of like let's see what works, and you know, frankly, I mean, sometimes we're still tap dancing trying to figure out because like the algorithms do shift. But I think we have a pretty good idea of what works and and who our audience is. Something we actually just looked at the other day that we're really proud of is like sixty percent of our eighty two thousand followers are women, which is really really exciting because I think that's a very underrepresented you know audience in terms of personal finance, and so. We know a lot about our uh, followers and so we try to create content and with that in mind. Yeah. So given the fact that
2: you're so data driven, I'd love to get just really granular with the whole soup to nuts creation process from like the idea, whether it's writing it down in your notes app when you just think of an idea at three in the morning, like that first Instagram idea, Alley, to actually sitting down and recording the content. Like do you use batching? Do you have like some kind of recording system and software that you recommend, and then all the way to actually posting the content. Like, Is it posted at a specific time? Are you answering comments all at once? Are you just answering them as they come in? And then maybe some of the analytics. I know that's super broad. I definitely want to hit on all those because it seems like you guys are just pulling all the right levers.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to try to say this as streamlined as possible. So we definitely batch content. We do our best to batch content. So we have a business email account, and a Google Calendar, and every day on that calendar, we write out what content needs to be posted for the day so we know that it's happening, so we don't have to think about it. We also have an organized grid pattern so that we know what is up on the rotation. In the beginning, it used to be, what do we feel like posting? Now it's, we're due for a Twitter post, we're due for a reel, we're due for an infographic. So because we know, it takes the thinking out of it, so we're more of a well-oiled machine. So we brainstorm content ideas, and then I'm usually the one that puts the content together, and then we approve it together. We create the language and the caption. We're not crazy high-tech. We're still pretty bare-bones. I mean, I use Canva for all of our visuals. We shoot all of our videos with an iPhone, edit them on the iPhone. And then it, it gets published. So a big thing that we've learned, though, is a two party business. You have to identify your strengths. Like right. there are things that I am good at that Josh is horrible at. And there are things that Josh <laughs> is incredible at that I'm not even going to try to talk about. So staying in our lane and knowing who's good at what has helped us be more efficient with it.
0: And I think even like before, like the five couple, like I'm kind of like an aggregator every day. It's podcasts, it's blogs, it's YouTube, all about real estate, personal finance, entrepreneurship, pretty much every single day. And so every day I'm consuming all of this information. And in the past, a lot of it was just like, this is for fun. I really like to learn it. But now I can learn about different topics and say, wow, that's a really cool idea. And then a lot of it stays in my mind. And then from there, it goes into like a notes app in my phone. And I'll literally just like, say like, Hey, Siri, make note. And then I just send out some garbled thing into my phone. And then usually at the end of the day, I try to like clean it all up. And then I pitch, basically I pitch it to Allie. I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? And she's definitely more like graphically designed skilled than I am. And so she's like, that would be a really hard thing to put into like a small little, because usually, I mean, you might have a person's attention for like two seconds. So you're like, how do I take like this big thing and make it like that? So there's a lot of stuff that never makes it to Instagram or anything like that, but that's kind of our process.
1: You know, y'all just mentioned like it's a two-party kind of business. So you got your different strengths and weaknesses, which I think is like fairly common for a lot of businesses and a lot of partnerships, but you're actually a couple, which, you know, I think adds a, a different layer of complexity. So for people out there who are thinking about whether it's just some little side hustle or a more serious business, getting in with their spouse, do you have any kind of like recommendations, warnings, you know, things to kind of consider before you step into like not only living together full time, but now working together full time.
3: It's been really, really incredible. And it's also been really, really hard. Like it's not easy working with your partner, but we already kind of got a taste for it with real estate because we were running a small but mighty rental portfolio together and making business decisions together already. So we know each other really well, obviously, and we're really big communicators, just being in the field that we're in and people in general. So I'd say like for someone looking to build a business with their partner, you really want to openly communicate with them and you wanna have a strong foundation. I mean, for Josh and I, like, I'm a therapist, like, we've gone through it all and I feel like if we had unhealthy baggage or boundaries in our relationship where if I got mad at him, I wouldn't talk to him or, like, different dynamics, that would make the business suffer. So you need to put on your business cap even though we're married when we're talking business and it's important to have those boundaries, you know? And I think in addition, again, like our biggest phrase, one of our catchphrases is productive in different ways. We are both productive in different ways. And even though I'm doing something that may not look like I'm working the same way you are, we are both working towards the same common goal. So I think for us, it's really just been like delineating roles and responsibilities.
0: Yeah. And real estate, again, I think we were stumbling over each other a lot in the beginning until we kind of figured out, okay, this is the stuff that Josh is good at. This is the stuff that Allie's good at. And there's a lot of times where what's nice about that is to kind of mitigate some of that decision fatigue. And there's things like if something comes through our real estate business, I'm like, that's an Allie question. It's actually really relieving to me, one, because I don't have to work on it. I know Allie's got it. But two, I know Ali's way better executing at that thing than I am. And if I had to try to do it, it's probably not gonna be a good outcome. So that kind of was like, you know, the same way house hacking is like real estate with training wheels. Our rental portfolio has kind of been like test run on how to run a business together. And a lot of that has transferred overall really nicely into the five couple, but we've naturally had growing pains along the way. If you can remember,
2: when did that first dollar come via Instagram?
0: So we don't really do it as much anymore. But in the beginning, we were providing like one-on-one coaching for individuals and couples, whether it was they interested in real estate, personal finance, paying off debt. And so I'm guessing it was probably that.
3: We started our page in November and then we started doing paid one-to-one coaching. Prior to that, we were doing free one-to-one coaching. We were doing paid one-to-one coaching in February. And I remember whatever we made, it was not a large amount of money. I was so excited. I was like, this is incredible. And I remember when we were starting our page, I was like, Josh, I want to have 25,000 followers. Like we're going to be famous. I want to have 25,000 followers. I want to make so much money from this. Like Josh, Josh was like, Allie, First of all, that's not happening. happening. This is (laughs) going to take years to build and you're probably going to go three years without seeing a single dollar because that is what happens. You need to pay your... like. I just remember we had such opposing like perspectives and it's just funny to look back I to think that.
0: My background was always like brick and mortar startups where it was like, yeah, you don't cut yourself a paycheck forever and it's 70, 80 hours a week and stuff. And I was like, I, so I, that was like my mindset or my schema. There's been a lot of times... Where I've been like the gas pedal and Allie's been like, slow down, Josh, you're crazy. And honestly, with, with real
3: estate, you're it's usually like that.
0: But with the five couple, I've definitely been like the gas or the brake pedal where Allie's been like pushing all these big goals. And I'm like, that's crazy. And like, I don't know why you even think that's possible.
1: <laughs> with the Instagram taking off so much more than maybe you expected it. What does that kind of do to your plans for real estate? Like, does it make you take the foot off the gas by a little bit with real estate? Like, what does that portfolio look like now? And what do you envision it looking like in the future?
3: So here's the thing. I have so many thoughts on this and it's yeah. literally a daily conversation in our house, right? So like we have an ebook. It's an amazing little beginner's real estate guide that we created on Canva and we love it. That ebook generates more money than a decent sized portfolio would passively on a monthly basis. So once you start seeing income from the digital space, especially income that's relatively passive, it makes real estate, physical real estate, a little less sexy. It does. It does <laughs> because I don't have a tenant calling me about an ebook, I don't have something breaking. There's no big cost like there is with real estate. But, and it's a big but, as amazing as social media income has been and will continue to be we understand it has a shelf life i will not be making reels when i'm like 60 like i'm not going to be dancing around to the trendy songs right our biggest goal is to use this money wisely to invest it into other assets i think that it will impact how many properties we want we never wanted a big portfolio we were thinking maybe like 8 to 10 units that's still our goal. Real estate is still going to be a piece of that pie. But the social media money is just going to help us invest into other assets that I think have a longer shelf life than Instagram has. And
0: what's been really nice too. So again, like the main reason we got into real estate is like, we didn't want to have six figures in debt anymore. And originally prior to the five couple, it was just like, I think at one point, like I had three jobs Allie had three jobs like we were just working like crazy yeah. to pay off that debt and then we bought our second house hack October of 2020 so five couple still doesn't exist at that point but we are lowered our cost of living again but because of the growth and everything we've been able to do we're really excited that probably at least either in February or March we're going to be finally completely debt free so in January of 2019, I think we I think we had just fall below a hundred thousand. I think we were like ninety-seven thousand dollars in January of twenty nineteen. So in about three years, we'll have paid off about a hundred thousand dollars. And I couldn't have predicted that. That wasn't in like my Excel spreadsheets or anything like that because I never predicted the five couple. But so along with you know planning for real estate, we're also really excited to have no consumer debt. So it's no longer like, do we invest or do we pay off debt? Like we can just invest now.
3: Right.
0: Well, you'll be calling up Dave Ramsey to do the debt free screen. Oh scream. God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like he would no. probably still chastise us because we use, we use debt. We, we like... use
3: debt to pay off our debt, but exactly. yeah. A
2: little bit different. So something you mentioned, Allie, was your ebook, the House Hacker's Handbook. And that's just one of a few revenue streams that it seems like you've created with the five couple. You started with this financial coaching. It was free and then it turned to paid one on one coaching. At some point, then you throw this ebook into the mix. I know also now you have like a paid financial coaching community on Discord, maybe some other revenue streams as well. But when did those other revenue streams start to come into the mix?
3: It picked up really quickly. It was slow at first, I think, for that whole from February and then onward, we were doing coaching. We still do it, but we take on a very limited amount of folks for that. The ebook we launched in May, and then we launched the private community in September. September. And then we started saying, Well, wow, look at this. Like we had our proof of concept. We have multiple revenue streams from this social media. How much more can we take it? So then we started looking into brand partnerships, and then we're like, Wow, you can do that. And now it's like, Let's launch a course. So I think there's all these different things. And what I love about this is that the opportunities are endless. You want to make sure you create sustainable systems. Like I want to do a blog and like all this stuff. So it's really cool, but I don't want to build myself another cage that I just got out of. So it's finding systems that, are sustainable for the life that we want, not just me having a job with 20 new employees at the five couple business. You know what I mean?
0: And like we mm-hmm. talk about this all the time. Like it's it's really exciting. Like this year right now, we have already some really big opportunities ahead of us, but we always will look at each other and be like, stick to the plan. Like that's really, really cool. But like, don't start celebrating or anything like that. Like stick to the plan, execute. And every single day it's like, we'll take a breather And we'll be like, wow, that's really cool that we're able to do that. And then it's like, all right, back to work. And we're really grateful for a lot of the brand partnerships that we're now being able to establish. I would say probably 95, 96% of opportunities that come our way don't fall within our circle of competence. And it would be really hard for us to either talk about or promote organically because it's not something that we would use personally. These are like great companies, but that's something that's like really a core value for us is if we wouldn't personally use it or aren't already using it, then we're not going to talk about it. And I think that's something that's really, really important as well. And the last thing I'll say is like, and this is where like, I've gained a whole nother respect for Allie, not just like as my wife, but as my partner, but she's a way better negotiator than I am. But also like, she recognizes value a lot. Like, I can look at a piece of property and know all the metrics that go into it and tell you very quickly what I think that property is worth. But when it comes to like time and, you know, our social media business, that's where I struggle. But having a partner who's way better at that than you are, that's been integral to our business.
1: Well, Allie and Josh, I mean, it sounds like you got a ton of different revenue streams and a ton of different things that you're working on. And I can just imagine there's going to be more things coming down the pipe. So for those that are listening who want to kind of follow along with this journey and see what's coming out next and seeing what you have to offer, where's some of the best places for them to do that?
3: Absolutely. We're very active on Instagram. That's our main platform. In addition to that, we have a Twitter page. We have a website, theficouple.com where we're currently featuring a 100% free budget calculator and net worth calculator. It's the exact calculator that we use to help us pay off our debt. So we wanted to share that with people and are really excited about the feedback we're getting for that.
0: And then if people have other questions, they can reach us also via email at info@thefirecouple.com.
3: And we respond to all of our emails and our DMs. It might take a little while with the direct messages, but we get to everyone.
2: Alrighty. Well, we'll take you up on that offer. We'll have all of our listeners direct message you with really long, intricate questions, but no, seriously, we'll we'll link everything up in the show notes and just want to thank you guys again so much for coming on. Cannot wait to see your growth in 2022. Hopefully you, who knows, make it past the 1 million mark.
3: Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
1: And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The FI Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.